So, weird times, huh? COVID-19 has affected all our lives, and it's going to continue to affect them for a long time. Weeks, months, there's just a lot of uncertainty right now. But the worst thing we can do is panic. You know, let it get you down. Let it perpetuate negative behaviors. If there's one thing that's made me hopeful, it's watching everyone rise to the occasion. You know, as Mr. Rogers said, look for the helpers. There's a lot of helpers out there. As you're listening to this, there are loads of people out there working to keep us going. Water, power, heating, food production, all of this is being maintained. And that's because people going above and beyond to get the job done in difficult times. The people driving delivery trucks, working in grocery stores, drug stores, pharmacists, obviously doctors, nurses, hospital staff, sanitation workers, the cleaners, sanitizing every surface of every store and location still running. Thank you to everyone. We're all coming together, and it is great to watch. We're showing what community actually means. But with a lot more downtime... People are hunkering down and self-isolating to slow down the spread of COVID-19. And so, today, on Issue Zero, we'll be throwing the format into the fire and creating a list of what to check out with all that extra downtime. I'm Fred Kennedy, and I'll be joined by our contemptuous harpy of a producer, Dila Velasquez, who will give her recommendations as well. First of all, Dila, thank you for joining us, and how are you holding up right now, buddy? Uh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Like everyone in, I'm in a one bedroom apartment with a very needy dog and my boyfriend who also is working from home. So it's, it's tight quarters. Um, but we're okay. Everyone is safe. Everyone, you know, we're washing our hands. We're taking care of our bodies and our minds, but it is, it's, it's tough. It's a weird new reality. And every day comes new weird things that you have to sort of accommodate and like wrap your head around. I think you really have to be selective in terms of how much news and information you're taking in at this time. And also, you really need to be confident in the news and information that you're getting is news and information as opposed to hype and editorials. Totally. So like I I do definitely limit that. I go only on Twitter for jokes. I only funny like if, if people are not being funny, I get out. And then I'm weirdly spending a lot of time on Instagram. Like Instagram lives seem to be my bread and butter. I do dance parties. I do uh, D D Nice, the DJ has been doing like these insane, really really cool uh, sort of DJ sets that last hours and has hundreds of thousands of people like just tuning in. So there's like these sense of community that you are kind of a part of, but without obviously being in the same room, but it just, it does add to like a nice sense of, yes, we're all in this together. Yes, we are all in this together. And I think there is a a great deal of camaraderie that is being fueled by this, people reaching out and helping their neighbors, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to talk to you about content you're consuming because Let's be honest, the the podcast that I normally do, I can't, I don't have time to sit down and script it out and write it like I normally would uh, because I normally take the train, that's where I get my writing done, I can't do that right now because as soon as I get home, I'm dealing with the kids, everything's up in flux right now, you know? So well, we just... Every, we, yeah, all of our lives are a little bit 
like we're all accommodating to a new reality. And I think that's just part of how we're going to do the podcast going forward. We're just going to be more adaptable and flexible. And I think that's the best way to sort of navigate these new, new waters. So I think for the time being, maybe this will be like our, our format for the next bit. We're going to talk about a movie, a TV show, a comic or a book, a video game and a board game that you're using to get you through these tough times. Well, I don't do board games uh, other than like an odd puzzle. And so I'm going to be leaning a lot more in movies and TV shows because that's the, the type of content that keeps my mind fresh. All right. We'll, we'll start with movies then. What do you got for movies? And I hope it's happy and positive because that's what people need right now. Well, uh, it is not. <laughs> I am leaning right into the darkness. Uh, my pick is uh, my first pick, and I really, really loved it. I do this thing um, as far as social distancing with like a friend of mine. We like queue up movies at the same time, and then we hit play, and we weirdly like watch them together. Um, and so, a friend of mine uh, and I decided to do Train to Busan, um, and it's this. Uh, it's a zombie film, so well, <laughs> it's yeah, a, very apt. It's a, <laughs> it's a real, uh, you know, feel good story, um, and it's on Amazon Prime, so you can stream it. Uh, and it's it's from 2016, and basically it follows um, this guy who's a workaholic absentee father, kind of like a terrible human, um, and his little girl wants to spend um, her birthday with her mom, and that is, he's in Seoul, uh, the mom is in Busan, and they essentially just get on a train to go visit the mom, and as they're, there's this incredible scene that um, on the way to the train station, there seems to be like fires like sirens and a firefighters come through and there's like a bunch of trucks like and you don't see what's happening um you kind of just see flecks that look like snow that is they're coming down on uh, the window and the little girl reaches out and you realize that it's actually ashes <gasps> and as the camera pans uh to this wide shot you actually see that there's a high rise that's uh on fire um and so they wow get that is that is a premonition of things to come for sure. And it's like, usually when you see like these zombie movies, there's like this vibe, like immediately it's violence and you see like the monsters almost like very early on. And this one just kind of builds these very human sort of lovely moments, almost like a drama as it unfolds. Anyways, they get on the train and, uh, you know, it's a zombie movie. Um, however, I will say this. I... It's a scary movie, yes. It has moments of horror, yes. It has moments of gore, yes. All of the things that you want in a zombie movie are in it. I am a fan of Fast and the Furious movies. I love a bit of ridiculous action. This movie also has that. <laughs> There's this guy. Um, it, it, one of the actors is Don Lee, and he is uh, a mixed martial artist. So he's, like, super physical. And if... He's also been cast, I think, in The Eternals um, for Marvel in the upcoming movie. Anyways, so this guy is a beast in this movie. Like, at one point, he um, basically stops a zombie horde with his strength. So, like, if you liked, uh, you know, Fast and Furious and Hobbs and Shaw, where The Rock 
basically saves the day with his bicep. This guy, Don Lee, does this in the zombie movie. So it's wild. It's absolutely incredible. And the thing that I wasn't prepared uh, in, in this trying times, I was not prepared. I thought it was just going to be kind of like escapism, like fun zombie, you know, shoot him up type stuff. I do need to warn people that this movie is also very emotional. Like, you will probably shed a tear or two, which is not something that I expected at all. So if you're going to go see, if you're going to watch this movie and you're going to stream it, expect all the good stuff, all of that fun, bang, bang, shoot up, but also be prepared that you might feel devastated at the end. <laughs> Like okay. You know, that's understandable, tears. though. Like, in a zombie situation, there would be a lot of emotion. You know, it at the end, it is a very emotional, traumatic experience that would bind families and loved ones together or tear them apart like zombies ripping through the flesh of a human being. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I was not prepared. Like, the the usually, like, what, what zombie movies do really well is kind of like, again, like that escapism. Like, you see the scary thing. It's kind of like... Oh, there's monsters in the closet. So you turn on the light and suddenly there's no monsters. You're not that scared. So like, that's what people use sort of zombie movies for to get like that fear out of it and then be okay with it. This movie has that, but what I wasn't prepared for was like the actual sort of, you know, the weight of something like this really happening. And since we're all living in it, kind of not a zombie apocalypse, but we're feeling sort of insecurity, just be prepared. <laughs> all right. It will, there will be some sadness, but it's an absolutely beautiful film, really well acted, incredibly directed. The action is wild. You're going to love it. If you are there for scary things, I know that you probably aren't, Fred, but at home, if you're into scary things, this movie 10 out of 10. Love it. Love it. Love it. Watch it. It's great. Now, listen, I need to, I need to amend your comment there. It's not that I'm not into scary things. It's that <laughs> my wife and I watch everything together and she's not a fan of tension. She likes comedy and she likes to be, you know, brought up by what she's watching. So I don't ever get to watch stuff like that. Yeah. No, this is not something that I think Jess would like. <laughs> no. I picked the 1986 classic Highlander starring Christopher Lambert and Sean Connery. My favorite thing about this movie is it's a movie about a guy from Scotland, but they cast a French guy to play the Scottish guy and a Scottish guy to play a Spanish guy who's actually an Egyptian guy that went to Japan. It's just one of the greatest, most ridiculous movies ever made. Also, <laughs> featuring an incredible soundtrack by Queen. Now, it doesn't quite have the... Uh, the emotional presence that Train to Busan may have, uh, but it does feature a young Clancy Brown playing what I would put on my list of greatest villains of all time, the Kurgan. The story centers around a guy named Connor McLeod uh, from medieval Scotland who finds out he's immortal and then over the course of hundreds of years comes to a massive event known as the Gathering when all of the immortals will come together and do battle for the prize. And spoiler alert, it's okay, the movie's like 30 years old at this point. The prize is to regain your mortality and be able to have children once again. And I will always pick it as one of my all-time favorite movies because, like, you're talking you wanted something for escapism. This is escapism, and it's as escapism as you get. It also led to a few sequels, which aren't very good and an absolutely amazing TV show 
Made here in Canada, a shared production with France as well, also known as The Highlander. And we also have sure. to bring up The Highlander soundtrack from Queen, which Queen is way too good of a movie, a band to be doing a soundtrack for this movie. But Princess of the Universe, oh, it's amazing. I mean, I was familiar. I don't really remember. I know the movie as a concept. I remember the TV show because my parents watched it when I was a kid. So, like, I remember it being in the background, but uh, I always remember it being like, this is the silliest thing. It is silly. I would never defend it, but that doesn't mean I don't absolutely love everything about it. So, it's mostly, like, what is it that you'll love about it? Escapism. and Just escapism? There's just, I don't know what it is, but if I ever met a guy and they said they were really good with a sword, it's just something that I would immediately respect. Like, not fencing. To me, that's not quite the same. I'm talking, like, legit saber sword fighting. Like, that's the like, real deal Like for a me. broad sword. Like yes. Like a big, heavy, like, that to you, that's it. It's. I think it just comes back to your liking of, you know, the barbarian. Totally. And the thing about this movie, too, is that there's immortals from all over the world, male, female, you name it, and they all have different swords and they all fight differently. And I think that was something that was really explored in the TV show. And I think my love of the TV show only made me love the original movie a lot more. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. So speaking of TV shows, give me your show. Give me your TV show that you're picking, your content that you're locking down with. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, my TV show... Uh, right now, thanks to a whole bunch of people who have been telling me to watch Westworld, I am in a binge. I have been living in Westworld for exclusively, really, for like a couple of days. <laughs> like, um, and have you seen it? Have you watched Westworld? I've watched the first two seasons. I'm waiting for the third season to wrap up and then we're going to dig right into it. Okay, okay. So I finished the first two seasons as of last night. And I almost feel like we can deconstruct and have like a full episode just about all of the thoughts that I have about Westworld. Uh, And I'm sure you have them and probably our listeners do. But like my biggest issue with the show thus far, I think it's great. And I hate Westerns. I will start that <laughs> I should have started with that. Like I, I've been told and recommended Westworld for years, and I've been. I've recommended Westworld to you before. I know a lot of people have. This is a thing. Like a lot, a lot of people have recommended Westworld, and I have to admit that it took me like four or five attempts at the show to get into it, simply because I do not like westerns. Like that is not genre that I like at all. And so it took me a while. Also because the first episode basically has two women being brutal, brutalized who then clearly you feel like, oh yeah, they're going to be brutalized and then they're going to be like the heroes of the story and that's, that trope is I find really, really boring. So having said all of that, it took me a whole bunch of tries to get into it. But then, you know, it took a pandemic for me to get into it and I did. And now I'm in it. <laughs> And I will say this, like the first season is is really super interesting and it poses a lot of questions about like um, identity and what it means to be human and like really great 
fascinating sort of questions about, um, you know, philosophical questions about humanity. And like, I was there for all of that. Season two, if you've seen it, I, there's like, I don't want to give away any spoilers, obviously, but season two, to me, uh, at the very least, found it very uneven. Yeah, I'll I'll go down I'll go down that road with you. I I agree. I really Thanks. like the thing about that show that I like the most is that to me it's a dissection of social media. I feel it's a dissection of the way that people react in a world without consequence. And that is the way you see people behave on social media itself. You've got a separate life. Like and you notice this with your friends. They're on live their online persona can be very different than their real life persona. And I find that very frustrating as people. And that's what it comes down to is how long will you stay genuine when you realize you don't need to be? And that's the big question about that show. Although in the show, and we won't give any spoilers away, it really comes down to the users being given consequence. That's what happens in the end. Well, that's all I can say for me anyways. For me, like I, I actually think it's more, I think it's, it's a bigger question than that. I, I do think that it deals very much about sort of identity and freedom and, and the obviously choice. I think choice is a very important question, which obviously comes into like some ideas of like faith and all of that. Like, I think, like I said, that's why I think I love the sort of the philosophical questions that the show poses I think the show works best in those very sort of human, small, quiet, one-on-one moments when they actually really get to expand on the characters and the reasons why they're acting the way that they are, the choices that they're making and all of that. Like, I think that is like, particularly I look at the Teddy character and his arc and how fascinating that is. Yes. Um, And in all fairness, like that, I think is a very good execution of what I think the the showrunner runners are trying to do and the creators are trying, but when they're posing those questions about choice and individuality and what mean what it means to be human or humanoid, um, what I think it lacks is and where it's really like super uneven and messy. Messy is the word. I think I wrote it like in all caps uh, as I was writing to you about this episode. Is that um, is the is the idea that it's these big sort of set pieces, the shoot 'em ups, the like that that are kind of like wedged into it, into the show, like the big uh, let's kill a whole bunch of people, and it's like uh, okay, but like that loses me. Like I found second season to be really hard to follow, not as much as like what the story is, but like the the drive of the characters yeah. to do what they did, and that's what is like that feels. Like, if there's a Venn diagram of, like, what people are doing and how their actions are sort of supposed to be interacting, like, there's major disconnects, and it feels like almost like plot holes. Again, I haven't watched the third season, so I obviously could be speaking out of turn, but I just found the second season to be particularly messy. Like, almost like the writer's room didn't know what the hell they were doing. They're like, I guess this is the thing that we're going to be putting out. Like, that's why they would do it, right? Like, that makes sense. You know what the biggest misstep with that show is for me? Uh, I feel like every new TV show has to have an evolving storyline and a singular arc, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But there's also nothing wrong with building 
an overall arc while still having Monster of the Week episodes sprinkled in. And they have this incredible world that's been built and we only ever scratch the surface of. It's like the whole story we're driving past this world that's been built. Why not have a show like that and have a Fantasy Island-esque build where one episode a week we follow somebody as they're exploring Westworld and evolving themselves as a character. Like, you get to see so much more of what's gone on. And in the second season, this isn't a spoiler, but you get to see Samurai World, which is just like oh, Westworld. The Shogun World. The, yeah. the Shogun World. Shogun World, uh, sorry. Uh, now, and, in the original book and in the original movie, uh, there's Roman World, which is like... Westworld, but set in the Roman Empire, which is an era that is well known for its debaucherous nature. So I feel like we missed a great opportunity with that show. Yeah, I feel like there's like that's that's the thing that's frustrating. It's like you created these really great characters in season one and this really sort of fascinating villain, and you knew what the stakes. The stakes were high, and already like it felt like oh. And, and, and obviously the timelines, because there's like that weird reset that happens with all of the hosts or whatever. But then in season two, it's like, oh, no, we need to we need to take it up a notch. It felt like halfway through as I was like, I was, was binging halfway through. I was like, are we in Game of Thrones territory where like the writers are just kind of like throwing sort of impossible loopholes at? Like, let's make it more. It needs to be more. And it's actually about this other thing. And then maybe it's da-da-da-da-da. And it just feels like this escalation that is so fast and rapid fire that as a viewer, why are we going so fast? You know what you needed more of? Hector. You needed more Hector. He was such a great character, and it made me so mad. I I want Hector to have his own TV show. I loved that character so much. Anyways, let's move on. Yeah. Sorry. Like I said, we could literally do a whole thing about oh. Westworld because it's so completely uneven. But a- anyways, that's what I'm in right now. Brilliant concept. But my TV show, and I just wrapped it up, uh, and as soon as we wrapped it up, I was very frustrated knowing we're going to be waiting for a long time for a second season. Lock and Key from Netflix. Now, of course, this is based on the comic book from Gabriel Rodriguez and uh, Joe Hill, published by IDW. And I would really encourage everybody to go buy the comic right now. Uh, the comic book community uh, is, in, is in desperate need of your help. Uh, and there's been so many great properties that have been adapted into movies and television series, and Lock and Key seems to be the latest big one. And I... Did not expect to like the show as much as I did, especially given how many changes they made between the show and the comic. But I was thoroughly captivated, and in the very final, final, final scene of the last episode, I realized that they had pulled the rug right out from under me, and I didn't even realize it. And I should have known, because I've read the comic. It's great. Now, the premise of this show is uh, a family uh, moves back to their father's home 
on the East Coast, the Northeast Coast in the United States, in Massachusetts, and it's because the father has been murdered, and he's been murdered by a student at his school, and it's got some very weird little connotations, some things that are said when you're dealing with flashback episodes of the father being murdered, and once they get back to this house, they start finding magic keys in the house. And all of these magic keys can do different things. Some of the keys can allow you to go anywhere. Some of the keys can allow you to change what you look like. Some of them allow you to go inside somebody's head and see the knowledge that they keep in there. There's all kinds of fascinating little developments. And what in the end, it feels like a fairy tale for grown-ups. I, I, I would say the movie that has the most similar vibe is Pan's Labyrinth. And that was a fairy tale for grown-ups, and I feel like that's what Lock and Key is. It's a fairy tale, but for grown-ups. And Joe Hill, of course, uh, Stephen King's son, and there's a lot of nods to things that Stephen King has done in his books and in his movies. And I think if you like Pan's Labyrinth, you will absolutely love Lock and Key on Netflix. I mean, I love, 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 love Pan's Labyrinth. Like, it's one of my all-time favorite movies. So... Maybe once I'm done Westworld, that's where I head. Now, there's some things that happen in the comic that are very dark uh, and would be almost too graphic to put in a TV show. Because with a comic, you can imply a lot of things by not showing them and having one sentence like make you visualize something. But to show it on a show would be a little bit too much. And they really do a great job of sidestepping a lot of the content like that from the comic book. And they make some changes, and I can't recommend that show enough, especially to you. When you're done Westworld Season 3, give that a go. I mean, Season 3 just started, so maybe I'll do – I mean, I, and I'm also juggling a few other shows because, hi, this is where I live now. <laughs> I just live in TV land and movie land. <laughs> so what is your book slash comic? So as – um, we know I, I do read, but like my book right now has nothing. Like, I don't think our audience would care. About what, what is I'm it? Just right tell now. me what the book is. Just tell me what it is. I'm reading little weirds by, um, oh my gosh, Jenny Slate. Jenny Slate wrote this lovely book about sort of, it's, a, it's like a, about her life, but also about other things and it's just it's lovely it's weird say but the I line think... dealer say the line money please yeah but... no i love i love denny slate so i love the book and it's it's a it's a it's a little treat that i read and i love it um but i don't think our audience is really going to be into little weirds um i had been checking out the new um black widow that i think was uh, i think it's like spider's web i can't even remember the name of it but um i'm i haven't gone to a shop to pick up um the latest uh versions and i really like going into comic book shops so anyways so that's why my comics and books selections i don't think will work for our show but i have been playing control on my ps4 so if you want to talk about video games i can talk about that yes what is your video game control explain this game to me okay so i don't know if you've heard about it um but it came out i think i'm gonna say in august of 2019 which now feels like 18 years ago um but it's this sort of action adventure video game um it's by remedy entertainment um and it 
follows this really, really cool redhead. Um, kind of reminds me of Black Widow, to be perfectly honest. Um, and her name is Jessie Fadden, and she has to go into the Federal Bureau of Control, which is a secret U.S. government agency. Um, and it is supposed to be, that agency is supposed to sort of contain and study phenomena that violates the law of reality. Ooh. So, they're, and yeah. they're obviously very clandestine. A hundred percent. And so I haven't been playing it long. Like it's, I've sort of just into the game, but like I'm into it and I already know that is my favorite thing I've ever played. So what do you Uh, do in this game? Do you have like psychic powers or? So you, it's, she has, so like as the game sort of, you're experiencing this world is very immersive. Uh, Obviously there's like clues and things that you have to gather as in, and tasks that you have, but you, it doesn't really have a map. As of right now, I, like I said, I'm just into it. Um, so it's not like you can sort of explore to the map to see where you have to go. Like you basically have you have to figure out how to get there by just exploring the space. Um, and there's like something weird. It's called the Hiss, I think, is the like the villain that has taken over the the bureau of control and so you as the protagonist have to try and um you know not only sort of look over this paranormal you know activity you become the new director when you walk in um and so you explore the space there's like these zombie-like creatures possessed humans maybe that have been sort of taken over by the hiss and so you are supposed to uh, solve and and do tasks. So it's um, like there's puzzles and not just shooting. There is a lot of shooting, um, to be honest. And it's really cool because the gun just kind of like recharges itself and you get telekinetic powers almost immediately. So basically, like if there's a bad a baddie that's coming at you, you can grab items that are surrounding, whether it's a chair or like a filing cabinet, whatever, and throw it at them with your telekinetic powers. And... Um, if not, you can just, if there's nothing around, you can actually break the concrete walls and eventually start throwing those at them as your gun sort of recharges. So it's this very cool kind of spooky, because um, you're still trying to figure out what the hiss is doing and they do give you tasks. So like right now I have to go to like the communications room to make sure that I get a message out or whatever. But to figure out how to get there, I have to explore the old house, which is the sort of the headquarters of the bureau as I'm trying to, you know, figure out what my next next task is. Um, but the only thing that I've, I can say that I've experienced in the real world that is like this, and I don't know if our listeners have done this, but in New York, there's this thing called Sleep No More. And you basically have to like solve the puzzle of what's happening. And it's like a very immersive experience. And this feels very much like it. Like it feels like the video game version of Sleep No More. So it's um, it's really, really cool. And the animation is amazing. The the graphics are very cool. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait to like continue exploring the space and continue playing because are you going to get a hundred percent are you going to go for a hundred percent on this game ultimate completion all the secrets i mean i would like to but i don't even know like I, it's so if that feels really daunting right now because it is so sort of like exploring the space and see like i sound like a modern dance teacher just explore the space but you do you gotta just have to go figure out what the tasks are um 
So, yeah, right now it's, like, really cool. And you get to, like, listen to tapes from the FBI and, like, you know, there's paperwork to be filed. And, like, there's – anyways, like, there's a lot of, like, really cool little, like, side things. So you can definitely get lost um, for a long time um, in this game. So it's it's great to pass the time. (laughs) Right now I'm actually trying to get 100% on Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which I'm a huge fan of the Assassin's Creed – Games going back to the original Assassin's Creed, which was released in the fall of 2008, I believe. Uh, and then the latest version came out last year and it takes place in ancient Greece. And you travel between all of the islands of Greece and all the parts of the country, all the way down to Crete. And you try and solve uh, this massive conspiracy of this, this nefarious cult of cosmos who are manipulating wars between the great houses of Greece, the Athenians and the Spartans, and you have to wade between both sides, and you learn all kinds of super cool combat moves, and you can explore and fight mythical creatures who turn out to be demigods themselves. So yeah, I'm all about exploring, and that's a game that I'm currently trying to get 100%, and it is so vast and huge, and I can 100% appreciate your... uh, your statement of it being very daunting, yes. But the book yeah, I'm but- reading, the book I'm reading, I actually got back into over the weekend. Uh, it's a, it's a French novel series called The Accursed Kings, and you can get the uh, English translations. Now, here's the thing. These are historical fiction books. Um, they're, they were written, started in 1955 by this guy Maurice Drouin, Um, who was actually one of the leaders of the French Resistance, and he was a professor of medieval history in France. Um, He started in 1955 and didn't complete the series until 1977. And George R. R. Martin has gone on record many times saying that this book series was his principal inspiration, uh, along with the War of the Roses in the United Kingdom, for the involvement of of uh, Game of Thrones. And when you read the first book, which is called The Iron King, uh, about King Philip the Fair of France, who's a real guy, you can 100% see the correlation between that main character and Tywin Lannister. Like, Tywin Lannister is King Philip IV, Philip the Fair uh, of France. Now, this book takes place over 100 years. It follows... uh, Five kings from the Competian dynasty and the first two kings of the House of Valois. And just the beginning starts with the purging of the Knights Templar in France. And when the leader of uh, the Knights Templar is being burned alive, he recants his confession to devil worship and curses the kings for seven generations. And when you read the book, it's all historically accurate. But there is so much intrigue, incest, and debauchery that you can't stop reading them. And each book follows a different era and a different character. Uh, The seven books, of course, starting with The Iron King, Going to the Strangled Queen, The Poison Crown, The Royal Succession. Uh, My favorite book is The She-Wolf of France, uh, which deals with uh, Baron Roger Mortimer escaping from his imprisonment in the Tower of London, going to England to lead a plot back against Uh, back against France. It's just, it's fascinating. If you enjoyed Game of Thrones for the intrigue and the, oh, I didn't see that coming, but you really should have, then you will absolutely love 
the Accursed King series. So that's my pick. Are you bored? Do you not care about this at all? I mean, no, I'm into it. I just, you know, it's historical fiction. That's not my jam. You you should, buddy, you get your English muffin and you put that intrigue jam all over it because it is a good time. I'm telling you. So you don't have, you don't play board games. You don't play tabletop RPGs. What else you got for me? Give me something else. Give me one more thing. You got five things here. I mean, I have, like, my next thing is a one-two punch. And that is what we do in the shadows. Because it is nothing, very few things on this planet make me happier than Taika Waititi, as we know. If you know anything about me, you know my love for Taika. Uh, it runs deep. And... uh and so the other day, I think I was just having a bit like one of those, like, oh, this is a this is a sad time that we're living in. And I turned on the TV and pops up the movie, What We Do in the Shadows. Um, if you haven't seen it, have you seen you've seen it? Oh, 100 percent. I've seen it. Uh, yeah. The movie I actually watched during my 24 hour walk for wishes last year. That was my it's 3 a.m. I've been walking for 13 straight hours and I need something that will make me very happy. And that was my pick. It is like it's it's like just immediate joy. Um, so the movie, I think, came out what in like 2014, maybe it's, it's a bit of an oldie, but it's a goodie. Um, and it I don't know, like, I'll just explain it quickly. If for those who haven't seen it, it's basically a mockumentary of a documentary crew that follows a group of vampires as they live their daily lives in New Zealand. Like, that's it. Everything from, like, washing the dishes and, like, being roommates to, you know, what it's like when they sort of explore modern life in New Zealand. So it is uh, It's a very funny, funny, funny film. And, um, and it's birthed a TV show, which is shot in Toronto. Fun fact. Um, and that TV show, the first season is absolutely incredible. Have you seen, you've seen it, right? I haven't seen the TV show yet because I'm trying to like realign my streaming services that I have. Uh, but <laughs> I want to note about the TV show, um, Mark Proch, who plays the energy vampire on that show, um, I was about to start talking about Colin Robinson. That's his name. Yes. Well, Hickey, that guy went around the country uh, in the U- in the U.S. as a yo-yo performance artist, but pretending to be a yo-yo performance artist, and he would go on television news programs in small towns and do disastrously fail-induced yo-yo performances and then have emotional breakdowns live on television. And it's one... If you can find the Jay Pruitt yo-yo videos, there's hours of them out there. I don't know how he managed to pull this off repeatedly, but they are... Magnifique. And when I saw him on the show, I was like, oh my God, it's Jay Pruitt, the yo-yo guy! Maybe we can try and like... Maybe we'll do a little bit of research, and if we can, we'll drop them into the show notes uh, if we find those videos. But, man, what we do in the shadows, movie, incredible. Like, that, to me, set a new bar for, like, mockumentaries when it comes to, obviously, like, vampires and, like, silliness. Like, it's just straight-up silly. Oh, of course, like, who can forget the werewolves? Like, the whole thing is so, so funny. 
And then the TV show came out. And the TV show is basically, again, it's a mockumentary-style show where they follow vampires. But this time, instead of, obviously, New Zealand, they're doing it in Staten Staten Island. And there's three main vampires, which are just, you know, night walkers, basically. And then, of course, there's the character that we were just talking about, which is the... (laughs) He's my favorite, uh, Colin Robinson, which is an energy vampire. So the energy vampires are day walkers. They can go out during daytime. They could be in your office. If you've ever had a coworker that bores you to death as they come up and you know, as they're pouring their coffee, that could be an energy vampire or an emotional vampire. There's two of those. Anyways, this season, the first season is perfection. There is one episode and this is not a spoiler alert, but there's one episode towards the later half of the first season that gives you everything you could possibly want as a as a fan of vampires. There's like a thing that happens and oh I screamed. I've watched that episode like six times and I will say this. Wesley Snipes shows up. Wesley Snipes shows up. That's all you need to know. All right. That's perfect. Dude, thank you for giving me some of your time in your very busy day of being in your house and posting salsa dancing videos with your dog. I appreciate it. And thanks for giving some solid recommendations of what people should be checking out while they're having this wonderful downtime. I mean, it's not necessarily downtime, but it does help with, you know, escapism. Oh, by the way, Season two of What We Do in the Shadows is coming out on April 15th. So you can sort of binge all of it and get caught up before season two comes out. Now, given the unique situation that we're in right now, I doubt that I'll be going back to the regular Issue Zero format next week either. That's right. We are going to start doing a weekly episode of Issue Zero. Uh, And given that Diamond Distribution, the company that distributes comics all across North America, has shut down for the foreseeable future, the entire comic book industry is in flux right now. And we're going to be talking to one of my friends who's very familiar with how Diamond works, as they've owned many comic book shops throughout the years. And we'll discuss the possibility of individual imprints shipping their own books from now on. That's next week on Issue Zero. Now, usually we end the show with some recommends, but now we want to hear from you. Tell us what you're watching, what you're playing. Listen, we need to share the best way to pass the time, so make sure you reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at Fearless underscore Fred, on Facebook and Instagram, and you can email me at IssueZero at CuriousCast.ca. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Issue Zero so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps us spread the word about the podcast. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me and Dila Velasquez, our producer. And sound design and final production is by the very tall Rob Johnson. See you next time for more Issue Zero.